You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hey, hey, we're Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. I'm Veronica Daschle. I'm Elaine Swetman. And I'm Charles Kelso. And we're too busy monkeying around to put anybody down. Welcome back to Monkeying Around. This week we are talking about the monkeys movie Head. And why are we talking about Head? Because it's Head's 50th anniversary. No, no it's not. 40th, no, it's not. 45th? I don't know. <laughs> it's the 55th anniversary of the movie Head. So we're jumping ahead a little bit. Uh, we just recently talked about the, the monkeys episode Monkeys in a Ghost Town, but we're going to jump ahead to talk about Head because it's the anniversary. Yeah. And so we wanted to watch it and talk and about obviously it. obviously I know which anniversary it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's the 89th anniversary. <laughs> And we are joined by some friends of ours. We are joined by Alan Seiler of the Modern Musicology podcast, among many, many other podcasts, and Derek Miner of Cut Out Ben and Mixing Links. Welcome back to the show, guys. You guys yeah. have both been on before. Yeah. Yeah. A few times. Thank yeah. you. I always love coming on this show. Thank yeah. you for having me on again. Yeah. Always. So this was my first time seeing Head. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming I was the only one that it was the first time. I've never seen it. You've never Still? seen it? Well, yes, I have now. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> okay. Yes, yesterday was my first time. And okay, of course, I'm you know, I, I knew the music, you know, <laughs> right. every yeah, yeah. greatest hits album you buy is going to have Porpoise Song on it. Mm-hmm. And most of them will probably have Circle Sky on it. Mm-hmm. And then I right. picked up the other songs here and there, but I had never seen the movie. Okay. So what were what were your first thoughts, Alan? Well, it was a bit crazy. Yes. <laughs> it was a bit insane. I have a lot of thoughts on it, though. I have a lot. So, yeah. You know. I, I'm not a fan. Not at all. It's not your kind all? of movie. Nope. Nope. I love the songs. There's some, a couple of mildly funny things in there, but overall, I'm like, nope. I'm, I'm not even a fan of the bits because it was like a bunch of bits shoved together in a black box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Elaine, you and I have both seen the movie a few times over the years. Yes. Yeah. Um, my main opinion was that it was always a trippy movie. I okay. first saw it maybe when I was in high school. So like late 80s, early 90s. I think somebody ran it on TV mm-hmm. one time. And then I had an old DVD copy of it about 20 years ago. And that was the last time I watched it. So I've only okay. seen it like maybe two times. Okay. Yeah, and I've seen it a few times over the years. I've I've watched it in full a few times, I should say, and then I've seen various clips of it, you know, on YouTube yeah. and that kind of thing as well. And I like I like the movie. Yeah, you know? I, I've seen some of the clips mm-hmm. before on YouTube. Okay, so a yeah. couple of the skits I was semi familiar with at least. Yeah. So Derek, you've seen this movie a lot. You're very knowledgeable about it. You even recorded your own <laughs> audio commentary for it before. <laughs> Yes, uh, I found that uh, back in when the original DVD came out, I thought there was a kind of thing. It was a, somebody was starting up a website where they were uh, encouraging people to like record their own commentaries, and you could like download other people's commentaries to play along with other mm. movies. Oh, what a and, cool idea! Yeah, uh, and and I thought like, ooh, it'd be fun to do for uh, to do head. I think, and I was I I found that file. It's like seventeen or eighteen years old. And and sent the link over to these guys, uh, 
And I was re-listening to it, some of it. And I was like, remembering, I was like, where did I find all this information? This is like <laughs> fascinating. Uh, but I, I know I said like on it that uh, the, the reason, one of the reasons I did it was because there wasn't one, there mm. wasn't a commentary, which has now been rectified. Then they did the uh, Blu-ray version. They uh, mm-hmm. recorded all of the monkeys before Davey passed. Right. Uh, and got their commentary on it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So let's hear some opinions. I mean, yeah. Alan, um, I just want to jump in on something that Elaine said a minute ago, talking about this being a trippy movie. What's super interesting about this to me is that, yes, it is a trippy movie, but it's not a trippy movie. Mm. It's like <laughs> none of the tropes of you know, what you think of as trippy movies mm-hmm. exist in this film. It's trippy in the sense that it is like, in a sense, nonlinear storytelling. And it's just a, a series of vignettes, but it's still, for the most part, the monkeys like they've been dropped into this totally different kind of film project like right. this isn't a television episode this is not a 90 minute monkeys episode you right. know right this is them being plopped down into a whole series of different types of movies mm-hmm. fascinating it's like a bunch of romps several of them without the music without the song but the romps are definitely more Adult, not the word. Well, there is one. There are a couple of scenes that you would not have seen in the TV show, but um, it, it, yeah, it's a little more serious. They're not just goofy, yeah. right? And yeah. there's moments of zaniness, like you expect from the monkeys, but it's so out of place in this mm-hmm. movie, and you don't expect it at all. Like all of a sudden, zany, and it's like, <laughs> where did where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah, I think even when they're doing um, like film sequences for the songs, they see they feel a lot more mature than oh, yeah. than what you get on the TV show, where they're not mm-hmm. clowning around on a beach and pretending to hammer each other into the sand. <laughs> you know, it'll be like Peter walking somberly, or mm. you know the the band playing and that sort of thing. Um, but I mean, it's still the monkeys performing or filming sequences set to music. Mm. For a large part of not a large part, but a significant part of this movie, I think, mm-hmm. you know, that you yeah. go into those sequences. Mm-hmm. I, there was a I was trying to find a quote that I had put into that commentary from a while back, and I found like a more later version of it. And I was just reading before we talked an interview with Bob Rafelson. And um, one of the things it, it, he he was uh, 78 when he did this interview. So take mm. that with a grain of salt. <laughs> like he if he if he was just kind of like picking up on the, I always wonder that like, you know, you, I think it's common that you hear things like Mickey has told so many stories over and over again. It's like the, the legend might be uh, more real in his mind than the reality of sometimes, you know, kind of (laughs) thing. And and so like catching somebody like Bob Rafelson at like 78, you know, take it with a grain of salt in that way. But uh, (laughs) he, he was saying that he didn't know if he would have an opportunity to make any other movies. So he wanted to make like every kind of movie with this movie. Uh, And so that definitely is something that you see in there is like every kind of movie there is, is like got something, there's something Mm -hmm. about it in there. Yeah. And we were, we were recently talking about the episode monkeys in a ghost town. And I mentioned that in that episode, they do a bit of subverting tropes from the Western genre. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, mixing genres together with gangsters and, you know, with the old West. And they do similar sort of things here where you like Mickey will get tired of, you know, he, he storms off the set and through the set, you know, <laughs> yes. during, yeah. during the Western sequence and that sort yeah. of thing, which which I enjoy. And I think there's a, a through line through the film. There's not really a through narrative, but there's a through line of 
you know, I mean, really, it really is like watching pop culture characters because they have become themselves pop culture characters at this time getting mm-hmm. fed up, yes. you know, and you, you would never see a Mickey Mouse cartoon where Mickey Mouse gets tired of being Mickey Mouse and being used to sell toys and storm <laughs> out, you know, but the, the monkeys had the opportunity to do that. Like mm-hmm. they were essentially Mickey Mouse's at that time. They were toys and their faces and names had become, you know, pop culture characters, which must be one be a very strange thing to happen to you. But also it's kind of fun to see these pop culture characters let's say F it and jump off a bridge. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, exactly. With the TV show, uh, their biggest fan base was like the preteen, early teen girls. And this was not the movie meant for them. Right. But I think it was their way of saying, we don't want to be that anymore. We are grown men who want to do our own thing. And then with all the stuff showing the clips from the Vietnam War and what was going on over there, kind of like there are more important things in the world than you tearing off my clothes because I'm a Popeye. Yes. Yeah. So there are other things in the world to pay attention to besides us. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it worked. <laughs> that people pay attention <laughs> to something else instead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> The interesting thing to me about like the uh, the jumping off the bridge thing, though, is that like in the first part of the movie, at the very beginning of the movie, you, Mickey is running and it seems like the other guys are like chasing after him to stop him. Yes. And then when you get around and you circle around to the end of the movie, it's like, no, they're following him because mm-hmm. like they've decided that whatever he decided he was going to do uh, is what they need to do also, you know, but mm-hmm. it's also like it's it's. In another way, it's circular, just like the whole movie. That uh, I, I think you, you, you uh, Chuck, you mentioned like the the box metaphor being kind of obvious. They're 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 in a box, so they don't know how to get out of their box. But they, you know, like whatever they do, they just end up back in the box. Right. <laughs> and, they, mm-hmm. and even the last thing they do in the movie by jumping off the bridge is they put them right back in a box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They get carted off by the by the guys back into the studio and. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're still they're, the monkeys at the end. Yes, there yeah. is no escape. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm yeah. sure that's how they felt at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I, and I imagine, I mean, for them personally, you know, through those, you know, 66 to 69 years, they were having parties and hanging out with, you know, John Lennon or Mama Cass or, you know, Stephen Stills. Like, they were part of that that scene. But, I mean, they were... Almost like the Wiggles, you know. I mean, they were being perceived <laughs> as being children's entertainers, uh, yeah. and they didn't right. want to be children's entertainers. That wasn't what they signed up for. But yeah. the, the monkeys skewed, maybe not as young as the Wiggles, but you know, they <laughs> skewed down to you know the preteen, you know, the the Beatles fans, little brothers and sisters watching the show. Mm-hmm. Which I imagine that some of that working itself out in this movie too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I I will say the beginning of the movie when they first when they jump off the bridge and the mermaids rescue them and then you see mickey kissing girl and i was kind of like oh we don't see that and that like not that it was naughty but it was kind of like i'm used to watching the tv the, the series and all of a sudden i'm like well that's a little racier than mm-hmm. and then she goes around and kisses every single one of them i was like well that's just brazen but i know that's <laughs> part of the movie you know? yeah and so it was such because we've been watching the episodes and my brain is still with like clean wholesome four guys in a band yeah. and this is not clean wholesome four guys <laughs> right. in a band anymore yeah. you know so it's a little it's a little jarring when we finished watching the movie i noticed you, you one thing you said that stuck with me was that the, the, the kisses 
in particular, you were saying those are not those are like big film kisses. They are not like TV kisses. No, they're open yeah. mouth kisses. Yeah, like open mouth kisses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They are you lingering know. kisses. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the the the, uh, the the trivia that I I I mentioned after we all watched the movie was that um the woman who walks around and kisses each one of them was uh, Jack Nicholson's girlfriend at the time. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So then I, I wondered like. Is, did Jack Nicholson like want his girlfriend to kiss all the monkeys or was it like, Hey honey, any notes on my script? And she's like, I have an idea. <laughs> what if I was in it and kissed all the monkeys? Wow. <laughs> so I'm interested in the creative process that led to that happening. <laughs> Another interesting thing I'll throw the, the, the uh, I always like to say that the monkeys are like, um, their stories always kind of have this underdog thing about them right that you know we're talking about they were they were trying to do something that they didn't want to be perceived as like the kids but they never could get the respect of like contemporaries like the birds or buffalo springfield or something like that and uh, there is an element of like the casting overall that Again, Bob Ravelson talked about this in in that same interview I was referring to earlier, but I he, he said something similar in, in in another interview that I couldn't find. But he was basically saying like these people that he cast in the bit parts were kind of cultural losers, but heroes mm. to him. Um, and that's like Annette Funicello, mm. um, the the person who the the female impersonator who played the waitress who turns yeah. out to be a man. Uh, playing a woman because he was like pre-divine the uh, the female impersonator of the day. Uh, okay. The woman who is with Mike at the boxing rink is one of the first um, uh, f- well-known strippers uh, from San Francisco, and she was like one of the first women to get artificially enhanced breasts. You okay. know, so these are like and and uh, Timothy Carey, the actor who is like some of the most bizarre parts of the movie, like where he's like it, uh, saying like these are phallic things. The whole phallic thing is happening. And then he comes back later and he's like doing the weird thing where he's kind of like become a he, he's become a mentally unstable and tells him not to make fun of cripples. It's like those are it's like these people have like these like weird cultural touchstones that they're not the main pop culture level but they are they have some kind of infamy in the world of pop right culture. Yeah. yeah that kind of we just recently went to see a screening of bride of the monster that makes me think of ed wood the way he mm-hmm. collected like the people who were considered <laughs> like outcasts and weirdos and mm-hmm. had his little cadre that he would put in his movies and that's a similar sort of thing of deliberately mm-hmm. bringing these people into the film that's interesting well, hmm. i'm thinking of john waters yeah okay yes yeah like you said divine i was like oh john oh that makes a lot of sense now because john waters does the same thing with all of his movies there's you know strange outcast widows whatever you want to call everybody he puts them in his movies even like the really even like the successful ones like hairspray and crybaby you Mm -hmm. know yeah yeah, that's interesting. On our most recent episode, I was just talking about um, when we were talking about monkeys in a ghost town. I was talking about the importance in the '60s and episodic television of um, the guest cast because your mm-hmm. your guest star of the week was a big deal in the 1960s. And that's sure. interesting that they went to the film and were deliberately casting these sort of counterculture people. Yeah, it's an interesting inversion from the show. Annette Funicello was not counterculture. No, no, exactly. <laughs> but she wasn't hip. Yes, you know? exactly. No, 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 because no. she was Mickey Mouse Club and all the Beach Blanket right. Bingo movies, which I love those. Um, but yeah, 
that's one reason why I was really wanted to watch it when I was younger, like in high school, because I was watching all the reruns of Mickey Mouse Club. They played them on the Disney Channel. And yeah. so I was just in love with the nephew Nutella. And so I thought it was cool that she was in the movie, not realizing that it wasn't really supposed to be cool that she was in the movie, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think that she had quite got to her very, very high profile anti-gay stance at mm. this point. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. That is an angle I was not aware of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, she, oh, yeah. And then you also have Frank Zappa in the film. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he you also don't get appears. any more counter than Frank Zappa. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get into some more opinions of the film. I mean, Alan, you you just recently saw it for the first time. What, I mean, what was what was something that jumped out at you in the film? I, I You know, I watched it yesterday afternoon. I have not read anything about it. I haven't read any analyses or anything like that. So anything that I might say has probably been said a hundred times, you know, <laughs> but um, so my, my take on it is that the whole thing is basically a skewering of the television slash pop culture. Mm. And it is um, it's the the whole artificial nature of all of it, of fame, of everything that they do, because they have these little vignettes that they get into and the interstitials in between them, the ones that where they transition into the next thing, it's always something that kind of breaks you out of what it is that they're presenting to you. So it's either, as you said earlier, Mickey walking through the, the wall of the set or it's on the back lot of a studio or mm -hmm. the scene breaks and the makeup people and the directors come in and there's all this stuff going on. And, and Peter is, you know, talking about the script, you know, and he's right. saying, I don't, I don't think it's right that I hit a woman. I don't like that, you know, that kind of thing. And so the whole thing, and I think the, the, the real crux of the whole thing, it starts out basically, you know, after the whole like bridge jumping thing, the first big monkeys scene that you think of when you think of monkey scenes is the performance of circle sky mm -hmm. and you know because they're on stage they're in front of people they're playing their instruments they're doing their monkey thing and at the end of that all the screaming girls come running at them like it's help or something and they start tearing them apart and tearing their clothes off and all this kind of stuff and what you see underneath all that is wax dummies and it just underlines the artifice of all of the things that they have been doing for the past, well, ever since 66. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's, yeah. that's my brilliant insight. <laughs> <laughs> well, Derek, you've been studying this film for a long time. What do you think? What would your res response to that be? I think that's, that's, that's uh, very well said about um, what, what is going on. I think it's, it's interesting because I think it's it's hard to really kind of see a through line that fits everything in the movie as many times as Agreed. I've seen it. It's there are things that don't really seem to you could find a pattern and then find something that doesn't fit it or whatever. Right. But, um, you know, it, but I think that also means that each time you watch it, you might pick up on something different or find something mm. new to kind of pull it through. And, and it's kind of like I think in a way. It is playing with the idea that as a movie watcher, you want to find order in things and through lines and things. You want to put things in a in a in a you want to put the puzzle together and understand what's going on. But it's definitely not going to do that for you. It's not gonna um it's not gonna give you all the answers. But uh 
I, I think it's very well said about like about uh, how everything is artificial and manufactured. In fact, we've got this. I I, I was thinking about just how like we have this whole section that takes place in a factory and it's like, mm-hmm. you can't even be more uh, on the nose about how <laughs> things are manufactured when it's like, it's a manufacturer. <laughs> but I, I was really like uh, thinking about how in that scene, they're kind of at different parts of the movie. They each seem to have a different awareness of things. It's like the scene in the, di- in the canteen in the studio, Peter's very aware of what's going on. And, the, yeah. and he's like, why am I going to hit this woman? And and Davey's like, no, it's great. It's fine. It's it's And the director's like, oh, it's great. It's fine. And then yeah. in uh, the factory scene, Davey's the one who's kind of looking around and seeing all this stuff that's like, this is bad. It's like the the person's head falls off. The the people are hanging from the <laughs> – they're, they're hanging above the, the equipment on a hook. And it's like, what is going on here? And the, everybody else, nobody sees it but Davey. And uh, it's just it's like there's it's each person sees something different. And and the interesting thing about them being oblivious to these things at different times is just really kind of bizarre and interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's also that um, I, I a comment that I had was listening to and when I was like trying to go back to like some of the notes that I had taken years ago and listen to that commentary thing was um I somewhere I had gotten somebody's comment on it that it was kind of like a a lucid dream kind of story kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I can see that. Yeah, and and it kind of fits in with like the scene where Peter is talking with the with the Swami or the Guru or whatever in the steam, and and it's like you know, he's kind of there's they even say something about there's it, it's the whole concept of what he's saying is like it's hard for people to perceive the difference between the real or the vividly imagined experience. And so I think it's kind of like talking, you know, the whole movie is kind of playing with that idea also of like the mixture of reality. And it, it, and you even said something earlier, Chuck, about like the guys in this movie, it's like the monkeys are out there. They're under their own names. It's like, it's mm-hmm. just this weird thing where they have to, you know, it's not like I'm Mike Nesmith who plays like, Artie Beach on TV, you know, who's a right. musician. It's like, right. no, I'm Mike Nesmith and I play music and yeah. I play Mike Nesmith on television, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, how how crazy is that to mess with your head yeah. that like you've got a you've got this like dual life as like yourself. And there's kids with a Mike Nesmith doll. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. And that is such a great point where the the character that they're known for is their own name so people mm-hmm. think that the character that they see in the episode is them like that's that's what mike mm-hmm. nesmith's personality is and the most poignant moment in the entire movie for me is when mickey is going crazy in the boxing ring and calling himself a dummy and peter says mm-hmm. i'm the dummy mm-hmm. i'm always the dummy and yeah. that just broke my heart i mean that Mm. was so sad but that's what they're talking about that's the everybody expects peter torque is the dummy because that's what they see on television Mm -hmm. yeah that's a man that's a good point Mm -hmm. yeah thanks thank you (laughs) i I, I appreciate it and i have to like go back and look at the script there's there are some scenes that in part exist, but without like audio and stuff. So it's hard to kind of say like how they actually would play out. But I think there was some more stuff in this movie that was 
I think they had an idea going where they were going to actually progress through how each of the monkeys tried to get their way out of the box. Like Mike Mm -hmm. was supposed to be kind of like a suave negotiator kind of guy. And then like Davey was going to be the fighter. And then like, so they were going to have like these moments where they each kind of like went through how each of them tries to get out of the box. And I think they lost a little bit of that in the sense, in the sense that you don't really see individually how that is but it's it's an interesting concept about like that i think would be good to see like how they would play with those perceptions of the people Mm. about the about the monkeys as characters or people you know and like how people perceive them Mm yeah 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 i find that extra interesting because even today a lot of people think that the characters they play on TV are are them. Yeah. And it's a thing that a lot of actors have to deal with. Um, but for the monkeys, that was like five million times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, today yeah, they've they've got the situation where they're their social media presence, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. a lot of times is curated by their people. Yeah. And that's yeah. perceived as being them. Yeah. You know, like yeah. this this Rude. famous millionaire who's busy doing things is sitting at home tweeting all day as well. You know, <laughs> no. like but they've got people who are doing that in their name. Um, but I mean it's your name and your face, and mm-hmm. it's sort of a second persona for you that you maybe you have control over, maybe you don't. Yeah. yeah. And it works sometimes and it works doesn't other times. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. You know, it's more convincing sometimes. And I think with the monkeys, it definitely was successful mm-hmm. because yeah. there are definitely aspects of their actual personalities that feed into their television characters. Yeah. So there's not as much separation between them, but there definitely is separation. I mean, when, and I think it's interesting that the movie basically begins with a monkey's performance. Like I was talking about earlier, because that's them. That's who they are. Mm-hmm. We play songs. We are musicians. We are a band. We do concerts. And from that point on, it goes into all these other things that they aren't. And it's like mm-hmm. all those vignettes could be monkeys episodes. Like you could see a, a monkeys episode set in a war zone. And you can see, I mean, you can see it in the opening credits when they're out in the desert. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. see them in all these different things, but none of them play out the way they would in a monkeys episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and even like when they're the dandruff commercial that they did commercials for Kool-Aid and all of right. those, they were they were always in commercials for things. Yeah. And so that a, a take on that that I'm not quite sure of the significance of three of them ending up in the vacuum cleaner and Davey back in the box to sing Daddy's song. I hadn't quite figured out how that split, but yeah. Because to me, he's like, not that he was separate from the other ones, but I think that some of the media attention went to him that the others didn't get because he's the cute one. He's the mm-hmm. pretty one. He's the lead singer, even though he really isn't. It's no. Mickey. Well, yeah. you know? and he, he had been on Broadway too. And so he yeah, was a little absolutely. bit more well-known at the time the monkey started than yeah. Yeah. the other three. So, yeah. yeah. I've talked about before, before I got into the monkeys, I knew Davy Jones. Like for a long time, right. he was the monkey I could name because he's independently famous. You <laughs> right. Know? And I mean, things like being on the Brady bunch and so forth beyond the monkeys. Yes. Yeah. Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I was going to say Scooby-Doo. <laughs> right, so, but Scooby-Doo, but yeah, they didn't have a Mike Nesmith Scooby-Doo episode. You mm-hmm. know, like the Davy yeah. Jones had a, a separate sort of fame, but they'd, they'd play off that too with the boxing where they're they're messing up his face. And it's like exactly. going after the thing that Davy's known for is having that face, right. you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
million My, dollar face. Right. <laughs> so and I don't remember who mentioned the the um dandruff thing. That was my first introduction to head like from the um Daydream Believers um biopic. Okay. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> because that's what that that's the thing that they showed in the biopic when they were filming head. So that's all I knew about head going into this was at some point they played dandruff. It's <laughs> <laughs> a memorable part of the film. Yeah. 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 And we mentioned like Annette Funicello was not really considered hip by the hip folks in 1968, mm-hmm. but I mean, neither was Victor Mature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's right. interesting that they focus on him so much in this film. What, one thing about uh, what Veronica said there is like, I have to imagine also, besides your experience seeing them recreate that in the biopic, um, <laughs> my experience watching the movie when I first saw it was was hearing the excerpts from the movie that are on the soundtrack album in their actual original context. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. There is definitely some recontextualization going on there. Mm-hmm. Well, and because like I said, it had been a good 18, 20 years since I had seen the movie and I've heard the soundtrack a couple times recently ish. And I'm like, I don't, the soundtrack's weird. I don't like it. But I was listening to it tonight when I was cooking dinner and now that I've just seen the movie again, it makes a lot more sense. I'm like, okay, I can get with the soundtrack. Now, you, it's a hard album to listen to if you've never seen the movie mm-hmm. because a lot of it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think the songs hold up just fine whether you've seen the film or not seen the film. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. some right. of the sound collages are skippers if, you, if you're not familiar with the movie, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Or yeah. if they just come up in your Spotify playlist randomly and you're <laughs> like, not not today. Barely goes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not today, Jack Nicholson. Right. We're going to do a separate thing about the soundtrack as an album. But I mean, as far as the songs that are in the film, I mean, what are some of the more effective uh, visual sequences to set to music that you guys thought worked well in this film? Porpoise song. Okay. Yeah, definitely I, that. Yeah. Can you dig it? Yeah. yeah with that, the belly dancers two. and stuff. Mm-hmm. That was, they were, they, they were doing some impressive dancing too. I was like, it was yeah. good. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I thought the daddy song sequence was really effective. Yeah. I like yeah. that song already. I thought the editing on that was really good, going back and forth between the black suit and the, the white Ooh, suit. Oh, yeah, that was the other yeah. one I really liked. Agreed. That was yeah. a, it's a really good play on that, I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of Fred Astaire. I've seen that yeah. yeah. I've seen that one off and on over the years. That's like one that people to play, like in mm-hmm. footage, mm-hmm. like clip packages mm-hmm. and stuff. They, they do that one. And, and actually, I wonder... No, they didn't. I, I'm trying to remember if when D- I saw Davy uh, at Mabel House Amphitheater a while ago, years ago, yeah. and I don't remember if they had a screen with video, mm. but I want to say maybe they did and they played say that behind him while he's singing. I, I mean, I, we pretty much named them all almost. I mean, it's like it's <laughs> it, they, they are all effect. All the sequences, all the musical yeah. sequences are effective. And I think that's definitely, I mean, the songs are strong and the, and the sequences that go with them are strong. Mm-hmm. It's like, even if you look at something like, um, as we go along, you think like, oh, this is just kind of like a quiet little, let's, let's go through nature. But I think it really, it, it really, uh, it sells itself at the end when you transition into like a commentary where it's like, here's this beautiful landscape. And now here we're going to tra- show you how it's turning into this like manufactured uh, advertising saturated land, you know? And, and it's like, that was just such a great concept to transition out of that yeah. uh, montage into that. Um, I mean, 
do I have to do this all over again? Is is you could say it's just like a party, people are dancing yeah. around, but you know, it's got it's got all the kind of editing stuff that you see in Porpoise Song and you see in um Circle Sky, you know, it's like it's it's very kinetic and fun to watch, you know, it's got, yeah. it's got a lot going on. Yeah, and that's interesting because they did quite a few on the series that were the monkeys playing and it's a party. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, the, and all- the the teenagers doing their little dance, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's interesting that, that they did a similar sort of thing in the film. But like you said, it's, it's edited quite differently and it's a, it's a different kind of party. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was another thing that I talked about it last night, like at the end of the concert of them playing Circle Sky when all the fans are ripping their clothes off. To me, that was a nod for the episode where they uh, up against the forced wine for the... um singing competition and left right. the crab tree like they're supposed to monkeys supposed to go sit at a certain table and the girls are going to come with their clothes off but they end up tearing the clothes off of lester crab tree who looked like <laughs> right. an accountant right and so it was a to me that was a little nod they there were a little nod to different episodes mm-hmm. i think yeah. so that was that was kind of cool as a way to link it to the series yeah well like on the show i mean you had the episode where they got frustrated and stormed off the set and yeah. mm-hmm. you know went to was Paris. Is that the we haven't got there yet in the rewatch? So I've been avoiding. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. But, that's yeah, the opening it, of the monkeys in Paris. Yeah, right. But yeah. and that is a similar sort of thing in the in the Western setup in this film. But they're supposed to be doing a Western right. film, and Mickey gets frustrated and yells at the director, and it still gets me every time he walks right through that background. <laughs> like it still <laughs> surprises me every time. And having only seen it the first time, it's definitely surprised me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, another musical moment that I want to mention, and I didn't think of it initially because I was only thinking of the the six proper monkey songs, mm-hmm. but the war chant yeah. mm-hmm. is really cool. And it's basically them saying, you know, th- this whole thing is phony. Yeah. And mm-hmm. everything that we've been doing is phony. And the way that it that it depicts on screen where it's the series of television screens and they just sort of like line up across the screen as the song goes on is really striking. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. might be my favorite moment. I mean, the they movie. tell my you favorite... what this movie is going to be during that, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I think the songs are great. I think the songs yeah. are some are, are really good. And I know we're not talking about the music. Really, but <laughs> I just want to say that, you know, when you're only talking about six new monkey songs, they're all good songs. Mm-hmm. Three of them are written by monkeys. Mm-hmm. Peter gets two songwriting credits and a lead vocal. And there are previous monkeys albums, proper albums that that does not happen. Quite a So <laughs> I feel like I feel like Peter really makes out well. And there are two mm-hmm. of peter's best songs yeah so i think musically this album is uh, i'm this movie is really strong mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think so too and that's that's become a regular recurring bit on our album discussions is that i complain about peter not getting a song on the <laughs> right. album because that's it just happens every time almost exactly i remember when we were watching it because we had the captions on and they would always put the name of the person who was singing and um for peter's big song they put mike Oh, and the entire time I was listening to it, I was like, this doesn't sound like Mike. This sounds like Peter. Why does it sound like Peter? Am I just losing my mind? But no, it was Peter. The caption guy just assumed. Yeah, exactly. yeah. That, that Pete guy, he doesn't do any vocals. Right. It can't be him. This is an Andrew you know, Zelda. Right. <laughs> Interestingly, there are alternate versions of a couple of these songs with different people doing the lead vocals. And mm-hmm. Peter does. Can you dig it? And it's. Very different take. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 
We're going to take an intermission. We'll be back in a few minutes. Don't go away. Don't change that channel. What he means to say is we'll be right back after the commercial. Hi, I'm Joe Heath. I'm Tony Heath. And we host the Watchathon or Rassilon. A podcast where we're watching through all of classic Doctor Who. Nope, we've already done that. We did? Well, then now what do we do? What do we two do? We review New Who. Ooh, we two review New Who? We do. Just for you. Who? Not you, them, the listeners of the podcast. Ah. The Watchathon of Rassilon. Now we review New Who too. Woohoo! Hi, I'm Gina Shock from the Go-Go's, fabulous drummer of the Go-Go's. Hi, this is Tony Levin of King Crimson. Hi, this is David Fishoff of the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. Hi, this is Richard Evans. I am the author of Listening to the Music the Machines Make. Hi, this is Teresa Kariakis, punk rock photographer. Hi, I'm Tom Bojour, author of Nothing But a Good Time, and you are listening to Modern Musicology. Modern Musicology. Modern Musicology. You're listening to Modern Musicology, so, you know, Pay attention, you might learn something. Hey, hey everyone, this is Monkey from the YouTube channel Cutout Bin, and I need your help. In 1967, the Monkeys won control of their musical destiny, but did you know they replaced some of the songs in their show with newer ones as well? And in 1969, when the Monkeys were swinging over to CBS Saturday mornings, they wanted a more contemporary sound, resulting in more songs being swapped for new ones. Unfortunately, many of these versions were never shown again and are considered lost media. But Monkeys fans never give up. We're calling on anyone who may have tape recorded episodes or even collected film prints. We know some of these episodes were seen in the United Kingdom and Japan. They could be in other countries as well. Do you remember any of these songs from episodes of the Monkeys? Bye bye, baby, bye bye, don't wanna make you cry. If I only listen to the band, if you have the time, would you keep me in mind? Well, then email us at lostmonkeys at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-M-O-N-K-E-E-S at gmail.com. This film can be watched, you know, as a as a part of the monkey's story. But also it's sort of the transition because it's the beginning of the BBS story where the Raybert guys mm-hmm. were making their transition into film. And I mean, it's it's interesting to look at it from a filmmaking perspective, because one thing that jumped out at me was that a lot of the there's a lot of different vignettes that we talked about. But a lot of the transitions are really interesting. Yes. Like when they're you, they go from the underwater and then they cut out of the psychedelic colors and it's pulling back from a fish tank and they're in the pad now. So that yes. yeah. things like that, that I thought were really effective. I mm-hmm. think the transitions are some of the smartest. I mean, not that the whole movie isn't, but I think yeah. that's some of the best parts of the of the film is the way that they transition from one setup to the next Mm -hmm. sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a lengthy one and sometimes it's a vignette all on its own and sometimes it's just you know mickey walking through a wall (laughs) i I just find it really really interesting the way that they stitched all these disparate things together yeah it's interesting to look at this i mean um like elaine we were watching it off your blue was it a blu-ray or dvd set that's your the 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 bbs BBS set we're like Mm -hmm. basically this is the start you know, oh, when we yeah. think of the, the monkey story, you think of head being towards the end. But it's interesting that, I mean, this launched, I mean, basically an era of independent cinema that came mm-hmm. out of what those guys were doing in the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was always it was in the 
monkeys books that you'd read in the eighties, it was always that say like that it was monkeys money that fended uh easy rider. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Elliot, you were talking about, um, the nods to the series but i was like you 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 notice someone in the movie oh yes valerie yes valerie Karras. yes she was in like 18 or 19 episodes throughout the series and she was a lot of times davy's girlfriend mm-hmm. and you see her in a lot of episodes she was in two different scenes in the movie so they were bringing people from the episodes yeah in um I also, there was a moment where we were watching it and I was started seeing another movie in my head. And it was it, when they were in the Western town and the giant um, oh, yeah. pops up behind. <laughs> and I'm like, that's supposed to be animal in the Muppet movie. <laughs> that is yeah. not head. But then when I was a kid, I didn't know the connection between James Farley, the director of the Muppet movie mm-hmm. with the monkeys because I, right. now I'm, and I'm like going, I wonder if that's where James Frawley <laughs> dropped that idea to put in the Muppet movie that he took it from head. Yeah. I mean, I, James Frawley didn't write the Muppet movie, but it is no. interesting that James Frawley, I mean, he directed half of the episodes of the monkeys mm-hmm. and went on to direct the Muppet movie. And there's very yeah. similar sequences. And you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. The Victor mature over the old West town. And the other one, you've got animal that, I mean, the, the, yeah. the Muppet movie, I think owes a lot to the monkeys generally, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, I've always thought that I mean you could have had Frawley as a director of a monkeys movie and done something very similar to the Muppet movie, where it's a little more of a narrative, you know, where you <laughs> I mean you could do basically the story of the Muppet movie with the monkeys instead, and that would work, where it's the monkeys watching the movie of themselves coming to Hollywood like yes. the Muppets yeah. did. I mean, it's, I think yeah. that would that would have worked very well as a Muppet as a monkeys movie. Um, yeah, that wasn't the type of movie they wanted to make. They weren't going to make a children's no. film, you know, at that point in their lives. But it's it's interesting that the that there but are parallels. You can use that. You can use that premise and not make it a kids movie. True. True. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're right about that. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, what, what was always great about the Muppets is that they walked that line very well. That you made movie. They made movies mm-hmm. that were very entertaining for adults, but they were they could be watched by anybody. You know. So do you right. think that? I mean, the the monkeys. I think could have made a more commercial film. And still accomplished a lot of what they wanted to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, whereas this film, and I was saying, uh, for those, who, I mean, those who don't know who weren't there, but a lot of us got together last night and watched this movie and Elaine hosted us. Um, and we talked yeah. about it a little bit afterward. But one of the things that I was saying that this film, I mean, it owes a lot to what was going on in like sort of underground and indie cinema at that time. We see a lot of short films and things like, um, you know, Jim Henson made. I mean, it's a coincidence that we just talking about the Muppets, but Jim Henson had like, you know, student films and um, like Andy Warhol would make short films that were very mm-hmm. sort of psychedelic and the type of editing and the type of things that were going into this film were very prominent in that type of filmmaking, um, mm-hmm. which is, I think the artsy direction is where they, where their heads were. But I think you could have made a more commercial monkeys film um, that like I said, still accomplished a lot of the, the things that they wanted to accomplish what they mm-hmm. wanted to say in the film. Yeah. There's an interesting parallel between what you're saying and the musical that David Bowie produced just before his death, Mm. which is called Lazarus. And so this this movie is basically the capstone to the series. The series is over and this is the last big like, you know, the, the, the finale of their televisual saga basically and the music the musical that bowie produced is uh the basically the capstone of his life 
Mm. his career, mm. but also his life. Cause it's the last thing. And he knew that he was on his way out the door and it's the mm. last thing that he produced before his death. And just as you're saying, he did a jukebox musical, you know, which are all the rage right now. Mm. And <laughs> he could have done something very commercial and could have done something that would have a long life because People would just get into it the way that they do into Mamma Mia and things like that. But he didn't. He did a weird, very strange, almost non-narrative kind of story set to a few of his hits, but a mm. lot of his deeper cuts that people might not be familiar with. And even the hits are very, very different. Like there's a completely different arrangement of them that you wouldn't recognize. And it's so <laughs> fascinating to me that as his life is coming to an end rather than doing and same with his final album not mm -hmm. a commercial album it was an enormous success because he died two days after it got released but it, artistically it's a brilliant brilliant album but it's not a commercial album and mm -hmm. i just think it's so interesting that his last gasp is to do something avant-garde that he wants to do, screw everybody else. I don't need to be commercial at this point in my life. Mm. It's fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because that is a really interesting parallel with Head. Mm. Mm -hmm. And now, Derek, you were telling us, I, I want to make sure we get this in before we get out of here. You were mm -hmm. at a screening of Head some years ago, and oh. one of the cast of this film crashed the screening. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the the woman who played the jumper, the woman who was on the top of the building who was going to jump. Right. And I should I thought about it. I should have looked it up. If I don't know if anybody can look it up. It was this what I, I told you guys it was like that her other kind of like claim to fame is that she did become an actress and do other things, but like her kind of like infamous other scene that she had in a movie was that she was uh in a Cheech and Chong movie where she sniffed cleanser and oh. thinking it was cocaine. <laughs> nice. But she, it was like, they had a screening for anniversary of head in, in the Chinese, not sorry, not the Chinese theater, the Egyptian theater in Los Angeles. And it was um, Peter and Davey mm. were doing the Q and a. And then, and then like that actress just like, came in out of nowhere and kind of jumped up there and started talking with them about the movie and stuff. <laughs> it was so bizarre. <laughs> like, oh my God. It, That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> it would have been so great if she had got up on stage and threatened to jump off of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, that's it's it's uh, yeah, that was that was a very fascinating. Uh, th there was some other it was just it was great. Um, uh, Chip Douglas was at that screening also. Oh, wow. Oh, very uh, cool. Yes. And uh, Rodney Bingenheimer was there. And I and, and I made the decision to go after Davey for an autograph instead of talking to Rodney Bingenheimer. <laughs> I think it ended up being the right choice. Yes. Uh, but I was I was thinking I wanted to get a picture with Rodney Bingenheimer, but that did, that did, did not happen. He disappeared and left, I guess. Wow. wow. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there was one other thing I... I a bit of trivia that I always like about this is like, does anyone know who the woman who danced with Davy is? Mm -mm. No. Mm. no, I know who ahead. Terry Gar is. That's the only yes. one. That I really... <laughs> the woman who danced with Davy is Tony Basil. Mm. Does that name sound Shut familiar? Up. Yeah. Shut oh, up. Oh. Is she? I remember I it was so that. I knew that. I did know that. Yeah, I remember it was so famous. I, I used but I didn't to know, know that, and I think I completely yeah. forgot. 
Yeah. Yeah. I have no Damn. idea who that is. <laughs> oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Mickey. Yeah. It was the basis for a Weird Al song. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Yes. No, yeah. Uh, but uh, it was Tony Basil. And uh, she even was in Easy Rider. Mm, she was. In the scene, she's in the scene in, in, in Easy Rider where they're in the uh, New Orleans cemetery. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's right. So she was part of that whole like Nicholson crowd and everything. Oh, yeah. and, and I, we were talking like those kind of things. We were to, Elaine started mentioning it. She said, because there's Jack Nicholson. We saw Jack Nicholson was talking with Burt Rafelson, uh, Bob Rafelson in there. Um, but you have to look, you have to look a little more carefully in that same scene. Dennis Hopper is in there also. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that they had this, this, this assortment of guys that you don't associate with the monkeys getting involved with this film. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and there are a lot of these bits that feel like, like they said, like they got around and got high and came up with ideas for the script. And a lot of them do, like, man, what would happen if they caught us? Those girls that are chasing us, I mm. bet they they'd rip us apart, and you know, like things like that that you you could see how those sort of things would come to be through that kind of conversation. But I think, I mean, I like the movie. Veronica, you hated it, and I suspect you did. Yes. Has this conversation changed your mind at all? No. Okay. <laughs> I I got a tweet. Um, somebody had um, because I posted on Twitter we were watching it, and somebody replied that apparently, um, Henry Dilt, you know, the photographer, mm-hmm. has suggested that a bottle of wine is required when watching the movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I said, I wonder, you, Veronica, I, oh, or something said, wonder, stronger. Which, which wine? And 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 the guy, the, the person replied back. It may be how many bottles of wine. I said, well, that may be good. <laughs> good. No matter what wine, just how many have you had? Yeah. Um, just for it to sort of maybe make sense at some point. I enjoyed it and I'll probably yeah. watch it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to watch it with the commentary. And I'm normally not a commentary watcher right. person because of hearing issues and you know, caption commentary. Mm-hmm. But I'm willing to suffer just to hear what all four guys have to say about the movie. I will probably watch it again to hear the commentary. Yeah. And yeah. Derek, I know you you sent us a copy of your commentary. Is your commentary yes. available anywhere that people could access it? Yeah, if you want to post that uh, path that I sent you as the link, it's it's okay. it's on it's on my website, but you can't like there's not a page that really links to it. I'm trying I was trying to find like old page where I had like articles and things that linked <laughs> yeah. to stuff, but you can go directly to the audio file with the link that I sent you. Okay, so if you yeah, want to post we'll that with the include that with the show notes because yeah. it's I mean it, I haven't heard the guy's commentary for it yet, but I would suspect it's not a whole lot of like in-depth trivia it's more the recollections <laughs> and and that sort of yeah thing. yeah yeah um, more of a somber recollection it, it's it's right. one thing about those type of commentaries that you find on like the criterion discs is that they it, it, a lot of commentaries from like major big studio movies you know they put the guys they put people in a room and just have them talk and then they get what they get right but when you're yeah. doing a criterion commentary you know they'll they'll have people talk in depth about thing and ask questions you know it's not like they have to they edit it down to fit the movie afterwards Mm -hmm. they don't they don't make you like just go from beginning to end with the movie and then just take what you get oh that's good because i was imagining mickey just being like oh that's weird i meant the whole time remember that time i blew up the coke machine (laughs) (laughs) it was really hot in that desert (laughs) 
<laughs> so, I mean, but I was going to say also, that's like that Mickey's like regular joke for this one is that uh, like if he'll do an introduction for the movie, he goes like, I hope you all enjoy the movie. And if you figure out what it's about, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. I think this is uh, this has been a fun talk. It's been a, it's a lot of fun getting together to watch the movie. And it's it's been a lot of fun talking about it uh, except with a, a good range of people from people who've never seen it before to, you know, an expert. Uh, so it's this has been a lot of fun, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, Derek, where can people find more of you on the Internet? Uh, you could find us by monkeys uh television video on uh, youtube on the uh cutout bin channel uh and on facebook at the uh mixing links uh group and alan where can people find more of you well people could if they so chose go to my website which is cosmic creative k-o-z-m-i-c creative and there are links to books that i've written about doctor who and some other crazy stuff and some of the podcasts I do, like Modern Musicology. We just did an episode about the albums of 1993. And the uh, most recent episode that we put out is a really fun one where we just talked about our favorite opening bands that we've ever seen throughout <laughs> our concert careers and some of the insane stories that we have about that. Like the time I went to John Mayer and said, hey, I could be your drummer. <laughs> so, so go check that out it's pretty fun and then you can find me on doctor who a to z that's my other podcast alan's just all over the place how about I you am. elaine uh you can find me on twitter at monkeying around on facebook at monkeying around uh, we have an email um monkeying around podcast gmail.com and i also have a facebook page called elaine and matt watch tv where i chronicle what me and my husband Matt are watching on TV. And how about us, Chuck? Feltnerdy.com, which if you go to it right now, this is a new game we're playing every week. Maybe it'll take you to our all new website. Maybe it'll redirect you to our Facebook page again because we're still working on that website. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> right. Surprise. Yep. Right. And what else? Earth Station Trek, our podcast about Star Trek, which Alan is a member of Earth Station Trek. You're one of the hosts. Uh, we yeah, go live. We go live on Thursdays talking about the latest Star Trek episode, or when there's not a new Star Trek episode, we'll talk about just a general Star Trek topic from Legacy Trek. Uh, we have a lot of fun. It goes out live on YouTube and on Facebook, or you can listen to the uh, the audio on any podcast platform. Just search for Earth Station Trek. All right. Thanks for monkeying around. Thanks for monkeying around with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and monkeyingaround.com. Monkeys is the craziest people. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.